0: Hi, everyone. Um, welcome to Earth Day Apprenticeship Lunch and Learn, um, apprenticeship programs, Emerging, emerging Energy Needs. Um, it's hosted by Net America, ICF, and Vanguard Consulting Group, LLC. My name is Saki Legranum, and I represent ICF. I just want to thank everyone um, for joining us today. Uh, we're really looking forward to having some great conversations um, about emerging energy needs Um, the importance of expanding registered apprenticeship programs, uh, career pathways, and environmental justice. Um, We really want to take this time to explore how apprenticeship programs can be a great tool um, for addressing climate change and sustainable energy needs. Um, We also want to address how we can ensure that an increased number of underrepresented, underserved, and other minority populations um, can become more involved um, in related energy fields. Um, that being said, uh, allow me to introduce um, our decorated panelists um, who all represent registered apprenticeship programs, workforce development, um, environmental justice, and all the things that we hope to discuss today um, and can hopefully inspire growth in these industries that you know, are so important to our futures. Um, so first we have Daphne Wilson um, from the Environmental Protection Agency. Daphne is an environmental engineer at EPA with a background in mechanical engineering. With 25 years of experience, she specializes in environmental justice and uses her experience to help ensure the needs and concerns of minority and low-income communities are represented in environmental policy. We also have Melissa Bartwell with us, who is the president and CEO of Automation Strategy and Performance Incorporated and the chairman of Emergency Technology Apprenticeships. Melissa has over 30 years of experience leading integrated automation projects in the in the energy and critical infrastructure sector. Today, Melissa focuses on strategic workforce solutions that accelerate the development of integrated automation in clean energy, critical infrastructure, and advanced manufacturing. Uh, now I'll hand things over to my colleagues, Akhil and Amara, uh, who are here represent- representing Vanguard LLC. Um, and yeah, we're just going to jump right into our conversation.
1: Fantastic, fantastic. Thank you, Sakili. Uh, it's great to see you, great to see everyone. Uh, little housekeeping before we jump into this amazing conversation. Um, we are going to, there is a section, a comment section uh, for the live audience. Uh, definitely, definitely, definitely throughout our discussion. Please throw some questions in there, uh, some thoughts, comments, anything that you want to uh, engage in the with us and with this conversation we will integrate that uh those comments and those questions as we go through uh if you have other questions towards the end we'll definitely do and a q a at the end but i just wanted to give you all an opportunity to jump in in the middle if you if you like um and and jump in and engage us with this uh with this great conversation so i'm gonna get us started um my name is akil Bektimba. i am uh the President and CEO of Vanguard Consulting Group, LLC. Uh, we are a partner of ICF with Sakili and her team and NetAmerica, who is also helping us to host uh, this great conversation. Thank you guys for joining us. And Melissa and Daphne, we're very looking forward to a uh, great conversation. Uh, we have one other just for everybody to know. Don't be surprised. We have one other guest that's going to probably pop in here with us. So uh, we're looking forward to seeing her, too. But let's go ahead and get the conversation going. Uh, I'd like to give Melissa and Daphne a chance to say hi, and then we'll jump into it.
2: I can start off. I can start off. Um, Hey, everybody. My name is Daphne Wilson, and I work for the Environmental Protection Agency. I've been with this agency for 23 years. I haven't done the same job for 23 years, but I've worked for the same company for 23 years. And 23 years ago, I never thought that I would be saying that because I thought 23 years was like forever. But (laughs) yeah, so I started my um, career in um, automotive manufacturing and then i moved on to environmental and um, so
3: we'll probably talk about that a little bit more later hey everybody my name is melissa boutwell i'm excited to be here with you and with our distinguished colleague miss daphne wilson you've seen a lot of change in 23 years at the epa and we're really lucky to have your experience here i um I am fortunate to lead the fastest growing employer group in emerging technology occupations that are accelerating getting people into clean energy jobs. And it it really excites me and our entire team. One of the ways that we accelerate is because we help employers get access to workforce solutions that they need to build the teams that they need for their businesses whether it's the EPA itself needing employees or a commercial employer trying to advance manufacturing or whatever is needed in their community. But the other thing that is exciting is that we're connecting career seekers who have not had access to these careers that might not come from a community that had a lot of technology education or may never have had a parent or a sibling or a friend ever work in this space and they just didn't know how to get in. And we are we are helping accelerate getting people that want great careers in this industry to these jobs. So we're excited to be here and uh, learn with everybody else today and celebrate Earth Day.
1: I think, uh, Amari, would you like to say hello, get us going? Of
4: course. Hello, everyone. Good afternoon. Thank you so much for joining our team today. We are so excited to talk to you about emerging en- energy needs and registered apprenticeship. We're really excited for all that we have in store. As Akhil mentioned, we have our comment section open for any questions that you may have or that you think of during the duration of this program. But I think we have one more person to introduce and then we can go ahead and get started.
1: Yes. Uh, as I mentioned a minute ago, we have one other uh addition. Hey, Cheryl. Uh Cheryl Good is also joining us today. And Cheryl, your timing is perfect. We we are Hi uh moved around the round table and now it's you get an opportunity to introduce yourself and uh and then we're gonna jump into the conversation thank you for joining us
5: all right you ready for me now yep all right well good afternoon and sorry i'm late just had to facilitate another and i was actually the facilitator so i couldn't leave the people in the meeting. But thank you for um, inviting me to be a part of this panel along with my colleague Daphne Wilson. We're in the same office, the EPA Region 4 Office of Environmental Justice and Children's Health Section, and I do a variety of things. I'm an environmental scientist. Primarily, I work with the Leadership Development Program that we created, Daphne and I created almost 10 years ago now. I work with grants, do a lot of other Policy. That the meeting I just left had to do with alternative dispute resolution. So, any and everything that you can think of in the world of environmental justice.
1: Awesome, awesome. Thank you for it. thank you for Is that. It? Is all you needed? Yeah, yeah. No, that was a great, great intro. And uh, okay. we we're getting ready to right. go ahead and get get started here. Just to warm us up, I um, we're meeting here today, obviously to warm up for and celebrate. Um, Earth Day, which began in 1970 uh, and is observed in more than 190 countries around the world. Um, just real interested in kind of just as a warm up question for you guys. Um, what does Earth Day mean to you and why is it important for us to be recognizing it and to celebrate it? And and when we ask these questions, any, any of you guys who want to jump in first, there's no order. You can go ahead and we'll uh, give everybody an opportunity to speak. what do you think about Earth
2: Day? I think I'll I'll start on that one. So in my personal opinion, I think that Earth Day is um, a good way to celebrate this wonderful creation of Earth that we live on. You know, it's amazing when you um, look at and study some of the um, aspects of nature and the environment and how perfectly organized it all is. Um, it's, it's just amazing. So um, giving respect and honor to um, the planet in which we live, yeah, that's
5: what Earth Day means to me. Mm, okay, I'll go next then. um So to me, it's kind of piggybacking on what Daphne says. It it gives us a chance to pause and reflect and acknowledge this wonderful earth. But since I do environmental justice, it also gives us a chance to see how the people are impacted uh, based on what's going on in this thing we call earth and uh, what we may do positively to enhance folks daily experiences or what we do negatively to impact it.
3: Well, I am very thankful for the demarcation day of Earth Day. If we think about 1970 and we look back for those of us that have enough gray hair to remember the 70s and uh, think about what time was like then. 1970 was when the Clean Water Act was passed. 1967 was when the Clean Air Act was passed. And in those days, we thought it was gonna be so hard to get it done. I mean, just think in 1970, we just had level one water cleansing. I mean, we, we didn't do what we do for clean water today. We didn't do what we do for clean air today. And think how many children have grown up in a better place, how many communities are better served because we took that courage, right, courageous path then how far we've come. So today when I look at that and I think about 20, 30, 50 years from today, if we attract young people and people that really want careers in this space and we empower them to be successful and make an impact, what can things be like in 2050? That's yeah. great. I love that.
4: I mean, when we're thinking about human impact, like you said, Cheryl, both positive and negative, and things that face our, our environment, I think it's refreshing to be in a space where we're able to talk about our workforce and the environment and our community. So that's going to lead us into our first question. This one is a two part question. So, So for people who maybe don't know, what are some of the biggest environmental challenges facing the world today? And what are some actions that individuals, communities and businesses can take to make a positive impact and create a more sustainable future? So what are our challenges and what can we do to make it better? You know, that's a that's a loaded question, because
5: there are so many um, and, you know, the work that Daphne and I do every day. I mean, uh, having led in your you know, having led water lines is a huge environmental challenge for that person who happens to be dealing with it. Um, having a, a landfill nearby in your community is a huge environmental challenge for that person that happens to be dealing with it. And so, I mean, it, it's hard to say what's, what's some of the largest environmental challenges because they could be insurmountable to that community or that individual that, that happens to be experiencing it at that time. So I just threw out a couple, but I'm sure others have some more that they may want to talk about.
1: Daphne, what do you think?
2: Yeah, I would say um, global warming, you know, climate. And uh, we have experienced a lot of odd weather patterns that have been popping up. And um, a lot of damage that has been uh, occurring increasingly because of those things. So, you know, the wildfires <clears throat> that we hear about, the hurricanes, the tornadoes, um, just a lot of weird weird weather patterns and the things that happen as a result of that. So I think climate is a big one. Um, And also waste is another, believe it or not. I was surprised when I heard that uh, food waste is the largest, um, biggest problem, I guess, in, in landfills uh, these days. And, um, so you would never think because, you know, I mean, I was just shocked to hear that. And then water water resources as well. And some of the things that I think that people can do to address those things is to educate yourselves about, um, about those different um, environmental concerns and do what you can do to reduce your carbon footprint, you know, um, buy an energy efficient appliances um, and don't waste food and, you know, recycle if you can, or compost, if you can um, share food with other people and, and then um, work on this water pollution issue.
3: Well, I I love both of those um, comments because I've worked my entire career in measuring those things. Um, the type of work that I've done has been measuring how much water we have, if we're replacing our drawdowns from aquifers, if it's clean, if that you know what what the discharge is in the air. And I love that we're focused on local communities. Because I think one of the things that we find is that so many young people and career seekers want to make an impact. They just need someone to connect them with the tools and how to make an impact. And so when I think about the biggest challenge that I see today is aging infrastructure. We have infrastructure that um, is older than I am. And we have the fastest, increase in demand for people with automation skills that we have ever had in our history. My industry is riddled with demand to automate these systems, to make them function better, to make them um, be able to handle the, the data that is needed to eliminate waste, to reduce inefficiency. And the challenges that are there are also the opportunities. And so when I think about environmental opportunity, it is really in the jobs that are being increased today, whether they're in uh, developing more battery capacity and the plants around the United States that are popping up, whether it's chip manufacturing, whether it's building automation or water systems, wastewater, there's so many good emerging technology jobs out there that make a positive impact. And if we can connect people to these jobs, then we can really address our infrastructure issues.
1: That's a fantastic segue. Um, let I think you I think we might have had this planned. Um, because, <laughs> <a> uh, <laughs> yeah, Because uh, I was thinking I was thinking just about even the question that Amara asked myself. And, and as you guys talked about it, you know, I'm not going to pretend like I am I knew so much about Earth Day before we started doing this presentation and, and the and the, the challenges. And I think that all three of you guys really talk about, um, you know, one of the biggest challenges, is educating the masses about what the challenges are and what are, what's going on out there and what kind of things they're facing. Um, obviously we see the headlines and people, you know, um, are pretty headline driven, right? They don't really look, read much further than the headlines, but you know, Aquaphor and some of the things that you just spoke about are things that people should know. Um, especially if you have kids and you're raising uh, families in these environments. So I think, thank you so much for you guys all saying, um, those things. And then it also feeds right into, um, the fact that our, uh, some of our efforts are in the ERAP program, right? And so ERAP yeah. is, Uh, for those who don't know, is expanding registered apprenticeships. And what you're talking about in the needs of the industry, there is a need to expand registered apprenticeships into these areas and into these fields uh, and into these occupations that actually uh, will provide opportunities for folks to go. And those two kind of major areas, like I said, are expanding into other registered apprenticeship areas. And two, uh, and I think you guys mentioned this also, is to... Um, expand opportunities to those who have been unrepre- underrepresented and who may not have traditionally or historically had the opportunity or access to these type of industries. So I thank you guys for for uh, helping to move that part of it along. I think Sakiwi has has our next question.
0: Yeah, so I, I really kind of want to chime in briefly about uh, what was just said. I think all of those points are fantastic. Um, Melissa, I think you hit it right on the head when you talked about infrastructure. Um, You know, I think it is important for us to remember that the earth and and environmental management is central to everything because all the resources that um, allow us to live our daily lives uh, come from natural resources. And so being able to uh, help our quality of life, just being able to exist, um, the management of of natural resources and the earth and and the water and, and the air is very, very important. Um, And since it is so important and we do have such a growing need um, for people working in industries um, that can facilitate that um, and, you know, being a part of a generation where, you know, environmental awareness is very, very important and just seeing a rise in people having interest um, in those type of fields. um, And some of those people may even be watching this right now in the future since this will be recorded. um, What advice uh, do our panelists have for um, young people who may be a high school age are both enter university or are just generally at that phase of their lives they're trying to think about um, their professional life and the professional future um, and maybe transitioning out of one career path into another one. like what advice would you give them um, regarding the opportunities that exist uh, around uh, the energy sector and the environmental sector?
2: Well, I, I would say to um, not to be afraid to get out and try something new. Um, there's going to be an increasing demand as we transition to um, electric cars and um, different things that, um, you know, are going to be more or are intended to be more energy efficient um, as we do uh, try to address the infrastructure of America. So like, you know, the sewer systems and et cetera, the highways, there's gonna be opportunities in those areas. And I would say not to be afraid to try something new.
5: Um, I would say um, and it's it's something that that is is not very easy to do. I mean, there are few people who know what they're passionate about when they come out of high school and they decide, I want to major in environmental justice or environmental science or whatever at 18 years old. I mean, it's not often that people know who they are Or what they're really good at at that young age that comes with time that comes with experience that comes with um trying different things and learning you know more about what you might be passionate about so i mean i would say um embrace all of your experiences as you know you're coming along going through your academic training that first job that you get out of college, it may not be your last, it probably won't be your last, but I guarantee you that it's something that you can take from that job that uh, will carry you further in your career. And you know, my first job out of graduate school was, I was a project manager. I mean, I didn't, that wasn't something, I went to school for physics, you know, that wasn't something that I, I thought I was gonna be doing, but I use it every day today. You know, thirty years later, right? And so, um, had I not taken that job seriously or learned all that I could have from that from that position, um, I don't think I would. You know, that skill set is very much needed in in what I'm doing now. So, I you know, I would say just try to um, enjoy the journey and figure out as early as you can what you really enjoy and what you're passionate about and try not to waste too much time doing something that you don't enjoy, whatever that happens to be, because it can make for a very long day, boring day in the workforce, whether you're working for somebody or you, you know, even have your own business. So, um, I mean, that's probably the best advice that I can get, whether you're going into the energy field or whatever it happens to be, just, just try to do something that you're passionate about.
3: Cheryl and Daphne, I love that advice. Um, Having courage and experimenting is, uh, I think how all of us got on this call. (laughs) You know, we, we find so many different things once you just get going. I think the most important advice I would give any young person that's listening today is half of success in life is showing up. Just lean in, and get involved. Don't feel like it's not for you. Just just try, just get in. And three ways you could do that. The first is you've got two brilliant women that just talked about their life and they both have expert training in the sciences. Daphne is a mechanical engineer. Cheryl just explained her physics background. No one is too old to learn about science. I got my master's in environmental science in my forties when I had kids in college. So you're never too old. Start from where you are, fall in love with science. The second thing is experiment. Go onto apprenticeship.gov and find a pre-apprenticeship, find an apprenticeship. And lean in. You don't have to be perfectly qualified to start an apprenticeship. That is the purpose of apprenticeship is to help people that don't have prior experience get connected with good jobs and good employers and get paid while you learn. Um, In our program, you could go to um, eta.careers and learn about emerging technology. But there are a lot of other apprenticeships. Um, go to apprenticeship.gov. And the other thing I would say is if you want to impact the environment, you got to get out of your house and you need to be active in the community. We've all been through COVID. We've all done remote work, but where impact is made is out in the community. Know what's going on in your environment. Visit the landfill. Be a part of where water your main water systems are and get to know your home and advocate for it. Find jobs, lean in and do what you can to impact that local environment. And you'll have as great a career as Daphne Sherwin and I have.
0: I do have a follow up question for you, Melissa. Um, I know for myself, uh, I'm a I can't really call myself like a, a new professional anymore, but it was not that long ago that I was thinking about and what field I want to go into. Um, and I think, especially in today's age where there is so much general uh, anxiety um, and so much uncertainty about the future, um, mm. what do you have to say uh, about the future viability of some of these jobs? I think, in a world where there are so many new jobs being created, um, I think some people would would appreciate knowing uh, how secure or how are relevant these positions will be uh, in the coming uh, years. Um, you know, no one wants to go into a field or a career that's kind of like a dead end where it will be obsolete in five to 10 years. I think people want to go into fields that they feel have a long-lasting impact. And do you feel like these fields are, uh, that applies to, to these fields? Like, do you think that this is something that someone can have, like, a long-term impactful um, career in? Uh, yeah, what are, your, what are your thoughts on that?
3: I love that question. And I, there are so many people in our organization that would be passionate about answering it. Let me, let me um, tell you what our company does to be able to answer that for career seekers that pass through our programs. Um, the first is that we measure the analytics of how many open jobs there actually are in the occupations we serve and we've been tracking this data and have very extensive data on it and right now today there are 17,000 jobs open in the united states for the for the occupations we apprentice with you know the economy anybody that listens to the news it's easy to get nervous about you know what will that job be there and is this is this worth the effort and I would like to make a statement that many of you may not have heard before. We are all passionate about advocating for underserved populations, right? Agreed? Well, our company advocates for underserved employers. Please give those federal employers, those local municipal employers, those city employers, colleges, universities, a look. They may not have fancy marketing departments out there with big flashy ad campaigns, but buddy, they got the jobs and we need you in many very stable jobs that have great retirement programs that have good benefits. And those jobs are just as important as many of the commercial jobs that are out there. These are the men and women that are working to provide clean water to make sure we have water in the first place. You know, so there's lots of opportunity in unexpected places. And, you know, we, we advocate for our commercial employers as well. We have commercial employers right now that are doing everything they can to meet the demand for increased data centers around the United States. We are not going to stop using data team unless everybody's getting rid of their iPhones. And, you know, that's just not happening. So there's all kinds of opportunity. Um, one of the things that we have tried to do is to make sure that when people come through apprenticeship.gov and they're interested in these opportunities, how do we give them some exposure to what types of differences there are in jobs? Cheryl said something a minute ago that was so smart. She said, I didn't know I was going to be great at project management, you know, I took this course this information was interesting, but now I use those skills every single day. Some people may gravitate to very technical work. Some may gravitate to leading people and teams and managing money and budgets, but all of those jobs are important to achieving our overall mission, regardless of what company you work for. So a good pre-apprenticeship program is going to kind of give people a sampler platter to let them know, hey, these jobs are in hospitals, they're in water districts, they're at universities, and you can kind of get exposure to variety. Um, I hope that answered your question, Sakili. Um, obviously, I'm passionate about it. <laughs> can, can I
5: add something, to Melissa? Right.
3: Go ahead, Cheryl. Um, so, I mean, I know there's there's
5: a lot of anxiety, particularly with a young person coming out of college early in their career. Oh, my, is this job going to be here five years from now, 10 years from now? I mean, I don't think any of us can predict um, whether things are going to turn and the job becomes obsolete. Uh, I think the best thing you could do is uh, learn all you can in the job that you do have when you have it. And, and try to do those things where your skills can be transferable. I mean, I don't think five years ago, we would predict that being a social influencer would be a job today that people get paid handsomely for, right? And so five years from now, there's going to be some other career path, some industry coming up that we never even thought about. So we even in my office, right now, my, um, environmental justice is a priority. It hasn't always been a priority and people have had to, you know, leave our office because it wasn't a priority for a particular administration. But one good thing about being in the public sector, like what Melissa is saying, off, you don't hear where people are laid off in the private sector. I mean, it happens every now and then, but not quite as often as it does, um, in the private sector. And so, you know, definitely consider those careers in the public sector, whether it's local, state, federal level. They're very interesting. They have longevity. Um, there's a variety of things that you can do and uh, they're exciting careers. Unlike what many people think.
1: I love the way the ball is getting passed around here. Everybody's catching and, and throwing at, <laughs>
5: at the same time.
1: Um I do want to, um, I think, you know, you guys bring in, which we kind of talk generally about careers. I'm interested um, in, you know, what are some of the most promising emerging technologies in the energy sector? And what are some of the some of the things you talked about animation quite a bit, a little bit ago, Melissa. And so for the for the audience, you know, let's name some of some of the opportunities that
3: that uh, we're talking about here. You're muted. Sorry, guys. Um, Today, there are really three types, three categories of work that represent the the bulk of opportunity. Um, Those categories of work might look differently depending on what employer you go to work for. But among the most important are gonna be things in the integrated automation space This is systems integration. This is operational technology that is like informational technology, but instead of just controlling data, you also control machines. Every single water district has wastewater lift stations. They have water purification systems. They have all kinds of things that have lots of mechanical equipment, lots of electrical equipment and computers run all of this and the jobs that do that work are in what is called integrated automation for us we um have industry recognized certifications that our company does for the seven occupations that are in the hottest demand across all industries and the other area that is very very important is the design engineering teams that actually design what the infrastructure of the future is going to be. Someone has to be out there saying, okay, we have this old technology, this is the way the new technology is going, and how do we help these companies and these organizations and facilities get from here to there? And the design engineering community has Today, just for very entry-level occupations in the ones that we fill, there are 497 vacancies right now for those specific jobs in various different companies. And then the other thing that I would say is in great demand, and this is not an entry-level job per se. But in our program, we have created what are stackable credentials so that someone has options to come in in very entry level jobs. But we continue apprenticeship and the apprenticeship you know, philosophy into advanced occupations, because how many people have gotten stuck in a job that they have no path out of because they can't prove they can do the job they know they can do? So we have created five different apprenticeships that are for advanced occupations. And I can tell you one of the biggest career opportunities today is what is a systems specialist in the service arena. And the reason this is so important is that once you learn the technology and you understand the systems, somebody has to take care of the customer. Somebody has to be the advocate in the field to make sure that those systems are working the way that they need to work. And those jobs are in great demand. And never before have we been in a situation where our population is aging in the proportions that they are now. There are 10,000 people retiring every day in the United States of America. I am part of that upper control limit that's looking towards retirement. The average age of experts in smart infrastructure careers today is 58 years old. Lean in. If you want a great career, we got people that are looking to get off the bench and we wanna help you get on the bench. So there is lots of opportunity if you have people skills, if you have technical skills, if you have business skills, you can make an impact in the environment tomorrow.
1: I love that, and you and and someone mentioned, uh, you know, that or I think you, Melissa, talked about how we made it out of, you know, on the kind of the other end of COVID, and you know, during that we were we were all in place and and working virtually um, for the majority of our time, and now getting out there, and I think that one of the the biggest points and takeaways and i hope people really heard you say uh that you know with apprenticeship being an option and being a being an opportunity you can go into an apprenticeship at any age you know yes. uh, with the erap program you know, it, yes. it, you know it's 18 and up and there's no cap and so i think you know i think your point there and, and the fact that you know we are starting to see where before it wasn't that way we're starting to see a lot of folks um, that we're touching bases with um, on our end, that that are transitioning, you know, yeah. you said they're stuck in certain in certain employment opportunities or employments that they're not passionate about anymore or don't want to be in, and really see apprenticeship as a as an opportunity there. So I appreciate you saying saying well, that.
3: Well, the, the median age right now in our programs is 35 years old. That is where the the largest volume of people participating in our programs are today. And the exciting thing to me is I want to speak to women. All right. So if we look at underserved populations in the field of work that that I represent, when I started my career in 1989, there were 0.04 women, per 100 in the work that I did. It took me six years before I met another girl that did the work that I did. There is joy in getting out there and being, you know, an explorer, learning something new. You know, we, we might not be learning new continents, but there's all kinds of new universes in your local community and it is great to put on a hard hat and boots and get out and see what's going on at the landfill and understand what's happening in the local environment so i would just suggest that if you are interested in getting into this occupation please go to www.eta.careers and sign up and let's see if we can get you in a pre-apprenticeship somewhere in the country. Doesn't matter how old you are, doesn't matter where you came from. It just matters where you're going. You got to bring attitude, aptitude, appetite. Those three ingredients are the key to success. And we got all the rest.
4: I love that triple A, everything you need to be successful at apprenticeship programs and I love the conversation around opportunities that exist for everyone. It's it's very inclusive as far as who's able to join an apprenticeship program, you know, whether it's youth or older adults or people that are making a career transition. You know, we've had conversations about career pathways and the industry needs. And that's all incredible to know how solutions exist and opportunities are there for both sides of it. So, what is the role of these employers that we've talked about and these industry groups? What's their role in supporting apprenticeships and how can we encourage them to get involved? You know, Cheryl and Daphne both represent a federal agency. So how can we get them get them involved in registered apprenticeship programs?
1: You're muted, Daphne.
2: Okay. I think a good way to get um, us as in federal agencies more involved in um, apprenticeship programs, um, they're already kind of getting started with that. They're trying to beef up
3: I think Daphne is frozen. Oh no, Cheryl. Do you have any comment on federal uh, registered um, apprenticeships? If not, I, mean, I can share I about know what about we're registered doing. Registered apprenticeships, but in, in terms of,
5: um, um, you know, promoting environmental science or promoting work doing environmental science in the public sector in the federal agency, I think, like Daphne said, we're trying to do a better job. You know we do have restrictions on um, the type of outreach that we can do, unlike you know some of the other companies and universities can. But you know, just for example, my daughter is majoring in engineering, and she went to a conference last month. EPA was at this conference. It's the National Society of Black Engineers. Uh, so she went up to them, and some of them happened to know who who you know know me actually. because she was in Kansas City, but. Um, So that's not typical of us Mm -hmm. attending those kinds of conferences where we get the chance to meet students and to meet other people who are not already in the public sector. Um, Something else I've seen. Oh, she mentioned to me she had to do like a role playing workshop and it had to do with um, something dealing with the environment. And I think they were talking about the water. I think they were using the situation in Jackson, Mississippi as an example, and she said no one in the room, none of the students in the room had heard of EPA before, which is, that's a travesty, right? (laughs) So there's an opportunity for us to educate people about the role that that we play in society and some of our other very critical federal agencies. But to say that you have a a college-age student that hasn't heard of EPA, and, you know, how pivotal our, our, our mission is in this country is, I mean, it just doesn't make sense. So is it our fault? I don't know. But um, I think that's an opportunity to, you know, influence um, the number of people that have an interest in this area and their apprenticeships as well.
3: Cheryl, I, I love that comment because I think don't be hard on yourself as an EPA because I think as technical people, we're not necessarily inherently good marketers, you know, we're, we're in the weeds of figuring out the numbers and the systems and how things work. And, and that's the beauty of the public-private partnerships like, you know, having Vanguard and Net America and ICF come together to even hold this webinar, because it's having the investments that we're doing in, in ourselves through the types of grants that you manage, is how we get the message out. Right now, our organization is so blessed to have partners like, like all of you. And through these public-private partnerships, we are getting the word out. Right now, we're getting 135 applicants a month. We didn't know we were gonna get that many applicants in a year. You know, We, we were like, okay, we're gonna try it. And we're tuning the messaging and we're sharing the story of employers so that people can know about your story and what the openings are at your organization. But right now we're working with other federal employers. You know, it's like my 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 mission for underserved employers. Y'all don't have marketing agencies out there, you know? So who knows about the cool work at the Smithsonian Institute and why they need people with smart, emerging technology skills to protect those buildings and why the CDC needs it and and why the Department of Defense needs it and why these great jobs are there. So there's huge opportunity for us to continue to collaborate through these public private partnerships to make sure that, that underserved populations and underserved employers have an opportunity to get connected.
1: I think that's the cool thing about apprenticeship also, uh, Melissa. And I'm so glad you said that because. Um, it You don't have to be a huge conglomerate to do it, right. right? You could be a mom and pop shop. You could be a, you know, a a small company, a small right. business, whatever. If you have a role that is apprenticeable and you have an uh, you're in an industry and an occupation that is apprenticeable, then you can do an apprenticeship. And even if you just do one person a year, yes. it, it, it contributes to the overall mission, right? And so, so, excuse me, so that that kind of push towards um, underserved companies, I think mm-hmm. you know, can take advantage of it. I think one of the challenges though, and, I, and I'm gonna challenge, uh, send this out to you guys, one of the challenges uh, that we face with dealing with these public private partnerships and dealing with employers in, in the private industry um, is to explain to them why registered apprenticeship is a benefit, right? Why it's why is this is a benefit? Why would I do this? I have I have internship programs. I have you know our own kind of um, uh, apprenticeships, you know, quote unquote apprenticeships that may not be a registered apprenticeship through like Department of Labor. So, how what are some of the benefits that we can explain or that we can tell them? Um, as far as a print registered apprenticeship goes that, Hey, this is really, this helps your bottom line. This helps your, you know, your, your company culture. This is part of your succession planning and your workforce solutions like this. What, what are some of the, the, uh, things that you would say in that regard?
3: I love that question, uh, Akhil. So let me first start by making this statement. What gets me up every morning and makes me in my day saying, I love my job is because I've been the employer my entire career and I know what is so hard about using apprenticeships and our company exists to make the easy button appear for employers. The reason we are the fastest growing employer group in the country right now is because we've given employers, access to the easy button we have more small employers than we have large employers we have large employers but we give them equitable access to the easy button and we have taken all of our engineering and system skills and applied it to workforce systems to do what we call master workforce systems integration So all they have to do is come to us from where you are, tell us your need and let's see if we've got something you don't have to invent from scratch. Let's use something that exists. And if you need something a little customized and we'll, we'll figure that out. But let me tell you the four reasons why employers re-enroll people in pre-apprentice and apprenticeship with us because people will buy the steak the first time because it sizzles and smells good. They bought the third, fourth, and fifth time because it tastes good. And this is what tastes good. All right. Number one is it is the most effective way to fill persistent job vacancies. It is the most effective way to retain your employees once you've invested in training 97% retention rates and People that come into apprenticeships say that they want to stay with and choose an employer that is investing in them long-term. The third thing is that it gives you an immediate way to prioritize productivity and manage rising labor costs because only through registered apprenticeship do you have a legal way to align the requirements of a job to a very calculated set of competencies and give people a pathway to promotion that is fair. It is the same for everybody. There's no, you know, they got promoted and I didn't, you've got the same 42 steps to take that everybody else does. And now everybody has access. The fourth reason that I find employers um, coming back over and over again, is because of the community of employers of best practices. When you come in and join a registered apprenticeship program and come be a part you know, with us as a sponsor, then you now have an enormous community of practice from non-competitive employers just like you all over the country. And you don't have to bear the cost by yourself for one apprentice. You get the benefit is if you hired all 32 of our employees to be able to advocate for you and help you be able to get what you need, but you don't have to pay for that for just one employee. You can pay as you go and you get a fair way to get what you need for the long term. And that's what employers love is that they don't have to wear the weight of it and it it's sustainable.
1: Absolutely. Um, I, I think, uh, you know, and I, and I'm, I'm probably going to jump ahead and, and I'm going to actually pass the ball to Sikili, but you talked about, um, you talked, you know, about women earlier and women being, getting involved, uh, in these fields. And we have, you know, three amazing professional women guests, um, experienced, you know, in in Daphne, Melissa and you, Cheryl, um, and then my colleagues, Sikili and Amara. we have women represented here and I love, I love the way it, it looks. I definitely don't mind being the only man on the panel.
5: <laughs> uh,
2: so
1: I, I, I wanna pass uh, to Sakili to uh, talk about like ERAP's, one of ERAP's goals that we spoke about a little earlier with the 50% uh, registered being fr- within, um, you know, the underserved community, specifically women and, uh, and happy to ask that question.
0: Uh, Thank you, Akil. So one of the goals, um, as Akil mentioned, of ERAP is to register 50% or more of our apprenticeships um, uh, as people who are from underrepresented uh, populations. Um, And I just wanted to know, what do you think needs to happen um, to extend these opportunities more? I know we kind of got into it. Um, I think um, Melissa brought up a great point about uh, the way that apprenticeships kind of level the playing field. So um, I want to hear from Cheryl and Daphne, who uh, work with a lot of these populations. Um, what are the needs that you're seeing? And then, Melissa, um, if you can maybe piggyback and maybe provide us some solutions based on your experiences. Whoever wants to start. Daphne, maybe you. I know you <laughs> cut out Julia. We didn't. That's how you finish your point. Maybe you should jump in for this.
2: Yeah. Okay. Some of the things I think that can be done to expand, um, um, opportunities in, in that segment of population is, um, to form relationships and build relationships with, um, organizations in those various communities. Also, um, with the federal organizations, the federal agencies, um, um, let them know, you know, the benefits of using apprentices. I think that um, what I was, you know, tr- initially trying to say before I got um, had technical difficulties um, is that the federal government is starting to use more innovative approaches to reach out to and um, acquire a a diverse workforce. And so um, by doing that, you know, they've done um, some efforts to hire um, recent graduates and um, people in um, setting up grants that have job training programs in Um, within the grants. And so um, those are all targeted to um, HBCUs and minority populations.
5: Um, I would add to what Daphne said, um, to volunteer when you have the opportunity, you know, the work that we do, we have projects, specific projects that uh, lend itself to, you know, someone to be able to volunteer with us. Um, and we've seen a few people who, you know, just turned into full-time employment. May not be in our office, but somewhere else within EPA. So if if someone has the opportunity to volunteer, I know everyone wants a salary, but if, if you can have do a short-term volunteer project, you know, six, eight, ten weeks or so, um, do so and just, you know, do so to the best of your ability so that some, someone will say, oh, wow, we want that person here, you know, full time.
3: I love that. I, I'm i going to take a slightly different slant following her segue. I cannot overemphasize the importance of mentorship. If you want diverse populations in your employment, you better have strong mentor relationships. People don't leave companies, they leave their supervisor. And the very best thing about apprenticeship is that there is an assigned mentor. And programs like ours and and others that are, you know, um, uh, accredited programs have formal mentorship programs because there, there's a cognitive diversity element too that isn't seen necessarily through race or gender. We, we think differently as people. Many of us ethnically identify you know, in, in certain ways or we might think in systems differently and mentorship skills to understand how to be a good steward of this awesome new apprentice is one of the most important things that we can do to be able to build a diverse workforce and keep it. The only other thing I would say to employers that are out there, if you don't become expert at having a diverse workforce, you'll be out of business in 10 years. You won't have to worry about it because your customers are becoming more diverse. And if you don't have people in your company that can innovate to meet the needs of your customers, You will not be relevant to that market. So becoming a very effective culture for bringing in cognitive diversity from lots of different schools of thought, looking past our our perceptions of the way things are, and bringing many different people in to solve valuable problems and make an impact is one of the most important investments any company can make.
1: I agree. And mentorship by itself. I mean, there are things that that people think are obvious, right? Or they think that are, you know, especially when working with youth and, and and even adult workers, there are things that, you know, you think are uh, everybody knows this. Well, they don't and they shouldn't be judged because they don't right? They should have the opportunity to to be coached and to be, you know, because you may have the next, you know, greatest thing, greatest person, greatest employee, um, and, and, you know, you talked a little bit earlier and it really builds loyalty, you know, yes. the only way that you can get those, you know, 97% retention rates and all these kind of things is because you built that relationship and, and you engage them and, and, and create that loyalty. And I think that that is, uh, that is not said enough. So I appreciate you saying that.
3: The we only do- one thing I'd like to, to mention is how important it is to be to provide a receptive space for our our service members that are leaving military service. We have a very healthy and growing population because we're VA accredited. You know, the GI Bill benefits and all those kinds of things are are obvious. But one of the reasons why these programs are so good for service members is because it provides them with a long-term runway to build a new community to build a new you know ecosystem of expertise using what they already have that they bring with them from service and mentorship goes a long way for why those programs are successful and they only come with with a registered apprenticeship
1: i'm going to throw a question at you guys from our linkedin uh, there's a linkedin question here in the box and it says how can we promote the value and benefits of registered apprenticeship programs in the renewable energy, uh, in renewable energy, to policymakers, funders, and the broader public? And I think that's that's a good question.
3: I will take a stab at an answer, but I want Cheryl and Daphne to get their first go at this because I'm passionate about that question. There we go. <laughs> I don't know, Melissa. I think you might need to go with it. Well, at least for me, it's data, <laughs> data, 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 data. And let me tell you what we found when we were working with policymakers and our our good friend. You know, the thing about the federal government is there are these beautiful silos. You know, and everybody is good at their zone. But my friends at the Department of Energy. And my friends at the Department of Labor, and you know the the EPA, and all these different wonderful um, communities of practice. There's one thing that binds us all: we all have common objectives. We all want to see more clean energy jobs. We all want to see strong infrastructure. We all want to see a healthy workforce. We all want to see these things, and the data that Registered Apprenticeship is providing helps us know that our investments with federal dollars are doing some good. When we first started our effort to establish a Registered Apprenticeship program for our sector of the economy, there were 2,973 unique job titles employers were using to describe eight jobs. Now, why would anyone that is a student want to apply for one of the fragmented 2,973 jobs. Yeah. If they want to become an accountant, they generally know what an accountant does. If they want to become a you know school teacher, they generally know what that is. So one of the things that we do through registered apprenticeship is we magnetize people to occupations, the actual work they do. A company, you know, we might have 70 different employers using the same occupation to get a registered apprenticeship. We don't care what job title they call it. We care about the occupation that they're being accredited to do. And that is one way that we're able to help the federal government policymakers at a state level or a local level be able to see we've attracted you know, X hundred of people into these jobs, we see the wages increasing. We see the lifetime earnings increasing. We see the multiplier effect in a community that may be underserved now has higher wage jobs coming in to that community. That's how policymakers are gonna listen. And so get involved, join a registered apprenticeship, hire an apprentice, or if you're a local workforce board out there and you want to learn how to partner, you know, to get this kind of data, let's lean in and do it together. And
2: if I could add, add to that, Melissa, I think in addition to that, with the data, do some storytelling and share your successes widely. You know, um, just share and and get the word out that you know. This really works, and this is what it's done for me, and this is what it can do for you. Um, I think that that would be another addition.
1: I agree, and, and and the and the fact is that if you are too shy to share it on your own, share it with us. <laughs> we'll, <laughs> we'll we'll blast it, you know, across the world and, and uh, across industry, and and let people know that this is that this is really a viable opportunity, and that it's it's it's, you know, it's, it's fun. And it's, and it's, it's, you know, it, it, it drives your passion. And and it's a, an opportunity to do something that you really care about and really excited about. And so um, that's great. We are, um, we are unfortunately coming to the end of this conversation. I think we could probably go on for another hour, but, um, but I, but for the sake of time, I want to give each one of you guys, first of all, thank you so much for, Your insight and your your just really really great passion towards uh, what you do and why you do it and sharing with those who may be interested. I think we piqued some interest out there. I think people you know see a uh, an avenue and 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 the vehicles to get there. Um, But I want to give each of you guys kind of some a chance to give kind of a final statement, final word, um, you know, some encouragement, whatever you want um, to the folks that are. That have tuned in to us today. Let's we'll start with uh, let's start with Cheryl. Um,
5: you know, I just want to share that again. I talked about being passionate about your, you know, career, whatever path you end up choosing. Um, this work is very rewarding. You get to impact people in their daily lives and see how what you do really affects them. I don't think many people can say that. I think folks sit behind their desk or wherever they work and they they just go about doing their jobs, but this type of work in the environmental arena, it it really, you know, is where the rubber meets the road. And uh, you get to see how someone having clean water versus unclean water makes the difference. So again, I just can't impress upon you, you know, to pursue what you're passionate about and the money will follow.
1: Right, Daphne?
5: Yeah, I think I will um,
2: agree with Cheryl and encourage people to look into environmental justice careers, look into careers with the federal government. Um, there are so many occupations that, you know, a lot of my, my friends when I say I work for EPA and I'm an engineer, they wonder what a, what does an engineer do at EPA, right? Right. And so, just you would be surprised at the type of work that you can do, whether you're a scientific person or whether you're you're not. You know, um, an accountant, attorneys. Those are um, engineers and scientists those are what are mainly hired at epa but we have people that manage our fleet of vehicles you know just various things so be open (laughs) get out there and learn more about stuff
1: yeah perfect perfect melissa
3: It's hard to beat what Cheryl and Daphne said. I I think I echo both of them and just be curious. Just be curious. There's so much out there to know, so much to learn, and there's so much joy in learning. I am a permanent student. I am an apprentice today to hundreds of people that know more about things than I do. And you're never too old to start something new so just have courage be curious and get out of your house show up
1: i love it i love it amara sakili anything for you too?
4: yeah i think this was one a very informative conversation about all the different opportunities that are available in within kind of the energy sector and the environmental justice fields i think i know i learned a lot about you know, what can be done, what's being done, and how we can really improve these opportunities. So I'm just excited to see how people are able to apply what they've learned today into their day-to-day lives and pursue, you know, something they're passionate about, something that challenges them, but also something that can really, you know, benefit our world as we move forward.
2: I agree.
0: (laughs) Um, Yeah, I just really appreciate all of you for being here. I think, everyone kind of had their own lens and their own tilt, and it brought a the conversation. I also think it proved a lot of the points that we were trying to make, which is that the things that we consider to be jobs in this sector are often much wider than we may initially think, um, and that there's just so much opportunity for us to really innovate when it comes to career pathways. Um, and yeah, I just thank you all for being here, and I, I too learned a lot. Um, and yeah, it's a fantastic conversation. I thought it would going another hour, but... Um, I was just happy to be a part. So thank you all.
1: Thank you, thank you, and thank, thank all of you guys. Um, I I want to mention a couple things for the audience. One, um, please go on a tallow and claim your digital badge, uh, especially students out there. You can definitely grab grab your digital badge for attending this session and learning what you learned. Um, I would also like to announce that uh, Net America on May first uh, will be hosting their spring a uh, STEM conference called RAPID Youth in Technology, uh, where you'll hear from employers such as Google, Ocean Casino Resort, Atlantic uh, workforce development organizations, and more as they address current trends, workforce needs, registered apprenticeship, and all of that in the technology uh, sector. I do wanna give, um, as we close, um, you guys, uh, EPA folks, and also you, Melissa, uh, if you have a date or something that's coming up in your sphere, um, please go ahead and this is a perfect time to just announce that. And then we'll close our session.
3: Anybody? Well, we, we at ASP every day is Earth Day. Cause what we're doing is making an impact. Um, but I would love to hear from your audience. You know, if there's anything that was a good use of your time, um, just reach out and, uh, we, we would love, love, love to get connected with you.
1: Sounds great. All right, folks. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Um, as you see, uh, at the bottom there, we do have some, some expo hall, uh, boosts that you can, since you've registered, you can log into and and see what's uh what's up there, and uh, yeah, we look forward to seeing you next time. Have a great day! Happy Earth Day! Bye,
0: everyone! Happy Earth Day!